Hey everyone, I'm so excited. This is the week that my brand new cookbook comes out. It's called Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway. I co-wrote it with Tony nominee Gideon Glick, and it is full of Broadway puns and illustrations by Justin Squiggs Robertson. And it is really, really a great gift and a gift to yourself if you love Broadway as much as I do. So do us a favor and head out to your local bookstore and ask for a copy of Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway. Well, speaking of new cookbooks, our uh, guest today is on, I think, her 45th cookbook. It comes up in the interview. It's either 45th or 46th. Uh, Melissa Clark, you know her, you love her from the New York Times, is the author of a brand new book called Dinner in One. And I decided to invite her on to just talk about weeknight cooking. How does she do it? How does she wash the dishes? All that stuff. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Melissa Clark. All right, Melissa. Well, welcome back to the podcast. You're you've been on twice before, so you're my my VIP guest. Thank oh, you. I love that. Oh, it's because you're so fun to talk to. I'll come back anytime. Oh, thanks. Well, congratulations. I have your brand new book, Dinner in One. And we were just talking um, before I hit record. Uh, you were reminding me that this book, which is gorgeous and which everyone should buy, and it seems like everyone is already buying, uh, sunk to the bottom of the ocean right before <laughs> it came out. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So my book was supposed to come out in March, actually. And um, around February, I got a call from my editor who said, OK, I have some bad news. Um, this is a little strange, but the container ship that you're shipment of books, your entire printing of, you know, 15,000 books was on, was um, ran into a storm at sea and um, 180 of the containers on this ship fell overboard. So we don't know if your book's among them, but maybe it is. But in any case, um, because and a lot of things got damaged and because of that, they don't know if they have my books and they're not going to figure it out in time for pub date. So they had to push the publication to September. So uh, and wow. it was my book and um, Mason Hereford's book, uh, you know, um, from New Orleans. Uh, and the Wolf. Yeah. The, yeah, I ate there. It was delicious. Um, that is the craziest story. But I guess uh, I guess that happens. I mean, we, we don't really think about how these books get here when they get here. And I guess now we know. I had so. never thought about my book being on a container ship. I just, you know, I just assume like the book fairy bird them. <laughs> yeah. A stork. A stork is carrying exactly. them. Yeah. Um, well, you must be relieved to finally have this book coming out into the world. So people I am. Can actually, um, I am. well, I thought today as a general topic, we could talk about weeknight cooking because this book is called dinner in one. And what's so great about it is that the recipes are all done in one dish or sheet pan or, yep. uh, bowl. or skillet uh, or <laughs> skillet. yeah. And I feel like you are the fairy godmother for home cooks who want a little pizzazz to their dinner, but don't want to spend hours in the kitchen. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the genesis of this book and then we can get into the broader subject. Yeah. So, well, okay. So this book, I knew I wanted to write a one pot book because I love one pot meals. They are so convenient. I was a very early adopter of sheet pan meals. As soon as I learned oh, about yeah. sheet pan meals, I was like, oh, oh, I am on this. This is my jam because I, I mean, there's nothing I love more than putting all of my ingredients on a sheet pan and putting it in the oven and then going and do something, something else. In fact, Adam, before I got on the phone with you, I put my chicken and my sweet peppers and my oregano and my thyme and my garlic all in a sheet pan, threw it in the oven. I was like, okay, 
normally I want to do this at high heat fast, but I'm like, I'm going to be chatting with you for a while. So I put it on low and we're going to see how it does. Oh, and is this like a spatchcock chicken or? Uh... It's um, bone in legs. Bone in legs. I mean, I feel like you pioneered the sheet pan dinner, but I don't, you know, I, I know people are very touchy about who takes credit for what, but I think of you as the, as the gen, gen, you know, the genesis of the sheet pan dinner came from you. I was definitely, like I said, an early adopter. I might've been the first person to do a sheet pan recipe at the times. Yeah. I mean, who knows who invented it? You know, I right. think it's, stuff's been around like, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, fair. but I was definitely like the second I was like, Oh, this is good. And I don't, I mean, I think I started, you know, I started before there were sheet pan meals. There were nine by 13 pans. Uh, and I had a bunch of recipes for those. And then it just makes sense. You know, once you have a sheet pan, it just makes sense to use it because food gets cooked so much better on it, you know, especially um, when you want caramelization because mm -hmm. it doesn't have the high sides, you know, those low sides encourage caramelization. Right. Um, so this is, and I mean, sheet pans were not equipment that everybody had. It used to be, you'd have cookie sheets and you'd have roasting pans and you'd have your nine by 13. So sheet pan is kind of, I mean, it's not new, new, but it's like a new-ish thing for home cooks. It was um, very much a restaurant staple, um, but we're totally getting off topic because you asked me why this book, how I came up with this book. Oh, wait, wait, wait before we get to that, I just want to okay. say you're really taking sheet pans to the edge here in this book, because I saw that you have a Thanksgiving dinner on a sheet pan in here. And I saw today in the New York Times, an English breakfast on a sheet pan. Was that, <laughs> was that today too? So you are like maverick sheet pan. I am cook. just all, yeah. If it, will it, I mean, I should write a book. Will it sheet pan? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Tell us about the genesis of the book. Um, so the genesis of the book. So I knew I wanted to do this one pot pan book because it was just something that I, I, this, it's a way I like to cook. And also I like to have, a. I like, I like confines. I like limited subjects like I it's like I always say it's like it's like a haiku you know you mm -hmm. want to express the biggest thought in the smallest amount of words right sure. so same thing with a recipe I want to get it down I like that I like paring things down but this book really took shape because I wrote it during the pandemic and I mean I went I think all of us right we all went from cooking dinner you know three to six nights a week to cooking three meals a day, seven meals, de seven mm -hmm. days a week, right? So yes. all of a sudden, dishes that were manageable became overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I needed a way, I needed to think my way out of this problem of these dishes. And I just, I just got myself in this mindset of paring down to the absolute minimum. But at the same time, cooking and eating dinner was the thing that we did every night that made us feel better during the pandemic. I mean, we felt like shit, right? It's like pandemic's right. raging. We're all inside. It's like every night at six o'clock, I'm like, okay, give me my cocktail and give me my dinner. Yeah. And that oh, was yeah. the cocktails. only cocktails. You know, oh, my cocktails, husband, yeah. Craig, got became a master of making cocktails. And I think my tolerance for drinking went up during the pandemic because now I could drink a cocktail and a glass of wine at dinner. And it's like, eh. It's fine. I used to do you feel think, it. Okay. Yeah, no, I totally do you. We cut down for a while though. So now I feel it again. Cause we were like, Oh, <laughs> shit, we're doing this every day. We got to stop. Yeah. Um, did you, did you cut down? Did you like build up and cut down? Like, I'm so curious about what people did. Well, I, I don't think we drink as many cocktails now as we did yeah. during the pandemic. I mean, during the pandemic, it was hard not to justify a cocktail at night, especially because of how bleak things seemed and just everything else that was going on in the world too. It just was such a ugly time to be alive in a weird way yeah. and so um yeah it just it felt like the right thing but yeah now I mean we, we have a lot of friends who stopped drinking after the after the pandemic like 
went cold turkey. Um, not a lot of friends, but a couple. Um, for me, I'm trying to cut. I used to like, you know, weekdays, try not to drink and then drink on weekends. But I'll have wine now because I think red wine is good for you. <laughs> and it's so good with dinner. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so, so this was so I'm just curious because you were talking about this book being created during the pandemic or thought up during the pandemic. But how did your cooking change? Like, what was your um, daily grind before the pandemic in terms of how many meals you cooked at home versus not cooking at home? Well, I mean, before the pandemic, we ate out probably three nights a week. Okay. So maybe or ate out or would have takeout. So, I mean, I was cooking four nights a week for sure. Right. And do you um, shop? Do you shop ahead? Like when you were doing these meals, like do you shop for the whole week ahead? Oh God, no, no. You go meal yeah. to meal for meal, meal to meal. Um. Well, I lay in my farmers market stuff, so I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I've got my whole farmers market order, um, and I'll lug all that. So it's like I've got my veg, and then it's like I have I fill in because I mean to me the veg are the foundation of the meal right yeah so i've got my eggplants and my corn and my peppers right now um and in the winter it's like my greens and my potatoes like whatever it is i get my squash i get all that and lay that in and then i shop for the proteins or the whatever i mean we always have pasta so i could always right. make some kind of pasta um and we always have canned fish we eat a lot of canned fish we love like sardines and anchovies mm-hmm. and tuna um, but if we were going to have chicken, I don't have, I mean, I have some in the freezer, but not for the most part like that. I'm just buying when I think like today before I was like, all right, what are we going to have for dinner? I have peppers, I have corn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get some chicken and do a big roast. So you, yeah, that's sort of how I do it. I mean, during the pandemic, I went through a little period of making a shopping list and like also just because there's so many cookbooks that I have that I want to cook recipes from. So I'll just like write down a couple of recipes and just go shopping for those recipes uh, like on a Sunday, but it's hard. But I think, did I watch a video of you cleaning your lettuce? Was that something that yeah. I dreamed up? That you, was totally me. You really clean your lettuce. I mean, I've never seen anyone clean lettuce like you. Can you, can you walk us through for those who haven't seen the video, how you clean your lettuce? Yeah. So I did it because I know that I go a little nuts with my lettuce cleaning. And I, I mean, I, okay. A couple of things. I exaggerated how much, I did it for the video effect. <laughs> Got it. Good I was <laughs> definitely like on the, but, um, but I, I, okay. First of all, I never, I try not to buy stuff in the plastic clamshells if I can. Mm. Like I really try not to, because I mean, I do some, we all do, we have to. Right. Yeah. But it's just like, to me, that's just like, oh my God, so much plastic. And it's like, I go through, you know, mm-hmm. it, so I try not to. Um, and if, but even if I do it, I always wash it because right even if I just give it a rinse, but when I, but so most of the lettuce I buy is really, really dirty because it's from the farmer's market and it Got is it. like, it's dirty stuff. So you, I mean, and I, I really hate crunch in my, I hate it. I hate that, like yeah. that little bit of grit. I hate it. Yes. I, I get it sometimes in clam, like the clam pasta or something like yes. with clams and it drives me crazy. I know yeah, exactly I, you should see me clean my clams. <laughs> How do you clean your clams? Wait, I just, <laughs> sidebar. Um, do you, do you put them in a, I usually put them in a big bowl with a little flour in it. Cause I heard the flour draws out the, the sand. Yeah, it's not true about the flour. You don't need the flour. Oh, I didn't know that. No flour, no flour, oh. but you, okay. So first thing is you need to spend a long time scrubbing them like with a scrub brush. Don't just rinse them, get in there and scrub with a scrub brush. We have a, br- so we also eat a lot of oysters. We love oysters. So we mm-hmm. have a, um, a dedicated shellfish brush. It's like a, wow. it's a, 
it's a natural bristle brush and we just use it for shellfish. So I get in there and I scrub every clam all around and that takes a while. You know, you have to be dedicated. Yes. I also love going clamming. So. Yeah. So the, but the, the grit from what you're saying is on the outside of the clam. It's not, it's not like it needs to be expunged with because the well, flower. Okay. So that's yeah. step one. Well, the flower doesn't do anything that I'm, I have tried it, you know, many ways I've read a lot about it and the flower, the cornmeal, it's, it's not, you Doesn't don't need do to do it. Don't uh, worry about it. Superstition for me, but okay. Um, well, it's like cooking the octopus with a cork. You don't need yeah. to do that either. Don't need to. Okay. Um, so you scrub your clams, you put them and then here is what helps salty water. So put mm. them in a big bowl of salty water, um, cold, salty water, and you got to change the water. I mean, I change it three times and I let them sit for hours if I can. I mean, if I can't, if I, you know, have to condense it, but I, I really do change the water. So I'll, I'll, usually what I do, what I try to do is do the clams like in the morning. So you get your clams, you scrub them, you put them in your big bowl with lots of salty water, stick them in the fridge for a few hours, mm. take them out, rinse them really well. And you're going to see grit on the bottom and then just do that again twice. And, um, that's that really, yeah, that's good advice. I, I was doing it all wrong. I had no idea. But back to your lettuce, because you you fill your sink with water and then you like you dunk the lettuce first. Was that what I remember from the video? Well, I rinse it. So I rinse. Um, so I take apart the heads of lettuce and I rinse between the layers, you know, between the leaves, because that's mm -hmm. where the, the um, soil um hangs out. And uh, then I put them in my salad spinner and then I let them soak. And this is an important thing, letting them soak for a little while. So you fill your salad spinner with water, put your lettuce in there and let it soak. And that will revive any wilty leaves. And yeah. then after that soak, I go through it again and I cull any leaves that look brown or withered or, but that gives them the chance to revive. Yeah. And then I rinse them again. And then I, I dry and then I uh, spin them dry. And then I dry them. I have big tea towels, like really, you know, those big flower sack towels, which I mm. love. And I put the, I spread them out on that. And then I roll them up, put them in the fridge and let them sit for at least an hour. And then I put them in and I do all my lettuce for the week at once. Like I will just, I wash a ton of lettuce, get it done. And then I put it in these little plastic stasher storage bags. And that way I always have, you know, and it keeps them really well. It keeps them for a week or more. And yeah. um, I always have lettuce. And that way we ha can have a salad every night because the lettuce is there. It's at the ready. I don't mm. have, I, I mean, washing salad before dinner is too much for me. Yeah. I have to plan ahead. Well, I think I've, I've discovered, and you're sort of alluding to this, that washing lettuce has two purposes. One is to clean it, but the other is to revive it, like you're saying, and yep. it tastes so like when you go to a restaurant and you have a really good salad, I think that's part of the reason is that they've like really like, is, does ice water help with that? I mean, whatever they're doing yeah. sometimes it's like the like endive is extremely like crunchy or something. And I'm like, I need to re recreate this at home. So it's probably just like what you're saying. Yeah. Well, ice water will really help. Like if you have yeah. lettuce that's really dead and you throw it in some ice water, it really does help it. But if you're just, if your lettuce mostly looks okay, and then you're going to store it in the fridge, you don't need to do the ice water. But if you want to serve it soon and it's looking yeah. sad, ice water is your ice friend water. for sure. Yeah. I, I think I studied that in biology in high school. I think there's some kind of, it was like turger pressure and it was like, the the pressure going in versus going I don't know I don't I'm not oh, a biologist cool. um I was gonna ask you I don't think I've ever asked you this but it seems like you know uh you're quite fastidious with the various things that you cook and I want to know about you doing dishes like because huh. you know we're talking about weeknight dinners and we're talking about one pot meals but when you tackle dishes I'm I'm actually really really curious do you fill the sink with soapy water do you like what is your strategy for dishes well, I have a dishwasher. 
Sure, but I have one too, <laughs> but I don't trust my dishwasher. Do you just throw things in the dishwasher? Well, I rinse. I, we rinse. We're, we're rinsers. So we runts, we rinse all the gunk off. Oh, here's the thing about rinsing. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty of the dishes. I do. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. So if we don't wash all of the crap off of our dishes so that there's nothing, on, like we don't want little bits of food. Otherwise, at some point, our dishwasher, and this has happened like three or four times in the lives of our several dishwashers in the 20 years that I've lived in the house. We have to stick our hands into the filter and scoop out the goop. And that is so disgusting and vile. <laughs> but if you don't have those little pieces of food on your plates before they go in the dishwasher, you don't have to do that yeah. because it doesn't, you know, you don't have that gross. So this is why having experienced that scoop of the filter and never wanting to do that again, I rinse all my dishes and put them in. And they're like, at that point, they're like, you know, they're not clean. I mean, they still have stuff sticking to them, but they're rinsed. Um, and then for pots and pans, my secret is um, lot, I don't fill the sink with water, but I have, you know, a good scrubby pad with lots of soap. And then I spray vinegar, white vinegar. I keep in a spray bottle under the sink and I spray all my pots and pans that are greasy with it because the vinegar helps break down the grease. Mm, that's really I also clean my floors with white vinegar. Well, it makes me think of deglazing a pan. Like it took me a long time to realize that if I like burnt, scorched the bottom of a pan that I could like work up the scorch bits with vinegar, like on the stove too. Like yeah. the, it, just, it yeah. just, you know, Oh, I've never thought of it. It's exactly right. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. such a smart way to put it. Yeah. Oh, you, thank you're deglazing. You. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, um, but, but pots and pans, I mean, I, my sheet pans inevitably, speaking of sheet pans, get really kind of grimy and gross, even though I try to clean them. But as the queen of sheet pan cooking, how do you keep your sheet pans clean? Okay. So I have a very, you know, I have like a whole process. So um, the aluminum sheet pans, you know, the ones that can't go in the dishwasher, mm -hmm. those um, I I use a lot of, um, I use a lot of vinegar or some, I have the, um, you know, that gentle scrub. I forget if it's Barkeeper's Friend or Bonami, one of those mm -hmm. scrubs, the, the gentle ones. And I use those, but I don't scrub too much, you know, because you know, a little bit of a patina is okay, but you just want to get the nasty stuff off. Um, but vinegar really helps degrease. But I also have a set of stainless steel, very lightweight sheet pans. Oh, okay. They're not heavy duty, but they work for certain things. They are not good in the oven. If you are going over 425, they'll warp. I mean, not yeah. irreparably. They'll warp and then they'll, you know, go like you'll hear them in the oven. They'll go, you'll hear the sound. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a sheet pan warping. But then it'll calm down. Um, they're really cheap. I throw them in the dishwasher. They're not as big. They're also a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. um, they're not like 13 by 18. I think they're like 12 by 16. So they fit in the dishwasher, which is nice. And they're stainless steel. So you can throw them in the dishwasher. I wow. love those. I And if you, or if you need to use two of them to make it more heavy duty, I do that. So I have those as well. So stainless steel. I have Nordic wear. Is that? That's aluminum. Those are aluminum. great. Those are but, great, but you think but stainless about getting... steel is like a level up. Well, I mean, they're not as sturdy. They're not as good in this terms of strength. So they're not really a level up. They're just, they just go in the dishwasher. I see. So that's the main difference is that they go in the dishwasher. Yeah. And sometimes when you're doing something like, you know what I use them for, you know, when you, um, you do slow roast tomatoes in a ton mm -hmm. of olive oil and the pan gets really greasy and yeah, you can do it since you're doing it at a low heat. It's perfect for that. And then you just throw the pan at the dishwasher. Got it. Um, well, I'm curious now in terms of like how you think, of, think of a week of meals, um, you know, because this book is filled with meals, but like if you're thinking Monday through Friday, 
are you thinking like one night's going to be a pasta, one night's going to be a chicken, one night's going to be a fish? Like, how do you think of a week of meals in terms of how you break it up? I don't think of a week of meals. I don't plan that far ahead. I think of the meal that we're going to have that night. Got it. Okay. Let's say you had pasta on Monday night and it's Tuesday and you're thinking about your dinner. Will you not make pasta because you just had it? Like, I mean, yeah, we do do that. Yeah. So we are conscious of that. We try to eat, you know, I mean, the, what I think about is, can we have a meal without any meat because we're trying to eat less meat? So we, we, you know, like we, we've, I think vegetables first, I'm like, what veggies do I have? Mm -hmm. Do they stand alone? Do I need to add a protein? Do I need to add pasta? Can they just be a bunch of roasted veggies? You know, how else can I, I mean, I really do start with the veg all the time. That's just, and every once in a while I'll start the other way around. Like I'll Mm -hmm. say, Oh, I have, you know, I went clamming and I have these clams. So we're going to have clam pasta or, um, we have um, a, a, an oyster CSA, we get these oysters. So, and sometimes we get other seafood with them. So whatever comes in, I'll make. Um, I try to, we try to eat a fatty fish at least once a week. Hmm. So, you know, I'm like, all right, which is our salmon day or. Got it. And then um, you have, you have your, your arsenal of like ingredients that using these vegetables from the farmer's market, using these proteins, then you can kind of pull a drawer open pull a cabinet open and and then you have your go-to spices and things like what are some of the things for people who are listening that are you know that are in the book or just some stuff that you have up your sleeve that make things better um oh god the condiments yeah or just or even like you know i, I saw a recipe in here that you're um, the pork chop recipe you were saying you can add um like a spice powder to it um garam masala like to have that on hand but like yeah little things to yeah. have on hand that can speed along a dinner but give it a little pop yeah so anytime you can have something that's pre-made you're you know like any kind of condiment or spice mix mm-hmm. y- your part of your work is done so i love spice fixes like garam masala um baharat um za'atar you know which is an herb and spice mix i love to have all of those curry powder is a mm-hmm. great one um madras curry um so I like to have those at the ready and that those add just a ton of flavor, but then there's sauces like harissa, chili pastes, um, all, I mean, all kinds of, I have so many chili pastes. I love chili pastes. They add so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your more specific ones, um, like, you know, like I know that I have like, like a common, you know, trinity of flavors is for Vietnamese food. Like I have my fish sauce that I'm going to do with my, you know, rice wine vinegar, and then maybe I'll add a little sugar and a little lime juice. So that's something, Mm -hmm. um, or I have my soy sauce, sesame oil, ginger, right? So that's like something that's, you know, I'll put together, um, and, you know, in varying ways, um, or I'll have my garlic, um, thyme, and salt and pepper will be in other words lemon zest so like little trios like little yeah different things that automatically you know spring to mind you know what i bought that um i had andy baragani on the podcast and and i think he recommended yuzu kosho kosho oh yuzu kosho is amazing because it's spicy and lemony but i have it in my cabinet i haven't used it on anything because i don't really know yet like what to put it on what do you put it on Oh gosh. Chicken. It's great on chicken. Um, salmon. Fantastic. But you know, what's really good also, which we do a lot. I take it and I rub it into softened butter and Mm. you make a yuzu kosho butter. And then that can just go on anything, vegetables, steak. That's great on chicken. Also. I mean, that's just a really yummy thing to have. 
So do you ever, I mean, I know that everyone wants quick and easy weeknight meals, but do you ever say, hey, I feel like being in the kitchen now for a few hours, I want to do a project. Um, I want to make something epic. Like, like how often does that happen? Very rarely these days. Um, I am often in the kitchen for hours, but usually I'm prepping ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'll like try to, like, I like to get my vegetables all in a, like, I like to prep my vegetables, you know? So if Mm -hmm. I have time ahead, I might blanch a bunch of green beans and just like have them in the fridge. And then I, you know, and make a bunch of hummus. I'm like, all right. And then we can have this for lunch during the week. Or like, um, I'm about to make a bunch of, you know, salmon salad that is just going to be in the fridge that we can have from my roasted some salmon. I have leftover salmon. So I'm going to do like tuna salad style, but with salmon and just have it in the fridge. And, um, yeah. Or I'll bake something. So we're talking to Melissa Clark, the, you know, mom and wife at home, but the Melissa Clark that we know from the New York times, who writes the columns, like, is that cooking? Like you're talking about the stuff that you have in the fridge that you're prepping for the week. That's for your family. Right. But, but then you're also cooking for the newspaper. And is that just, you just keep that separate? Like, is it church and state? Like your newspaper cooking is different than what your family is eating or is it all blended together? It's pretty blended. It's pretty blended. Got Um, it. But I do. So I have an official test day Um, on Mondays. I have my recipe tester come come over and we'll like that is our testing day. And on Mondays, I don't even eat dinner because I've eaten so much all day. And then Mm -hmm. usually there's something that I can give to my husband and daughter from what we've and If not, then I'll just, you know, boil them some sausages. (laughs) That's a good idea. I think sausages are an underrated weeknight dinner option because it just you can do serve it with any um, uh, vegetable you put it in pasta. Uh, uh, they're the best. Yeah. I really like sausage. Um, well, I think for our listeners who have children, I mean, we, we mentioned your daughter, um, now how old is she now? 13, 13. Four, she's going to be 14 in two weeks. That's crazy. Cause I came over to your house when I wrote my book in 2010, she was uh, two. She, she was, was two. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, but for those who like, I, I think for parents who are making weeknight dinners, fussy kids are a big issue because uh-huh. they they want to make things that everybody's going to eat. And they tend to like default to like mac and cheese or yeah. pasta. So as your daughter was growing up, and I actually just asked this question on uh, another podcast interview with a, a new parent, um, but how, what was your strategy in terms of what you put on the dinner table and how you dealt with um, your daughter as she grew up, whether she wanted to eat, what was it there or not? Well, first of all, we didn't start eating with our daughter until she was five. Okay. We, she had an early bedtime and we ate later. And so I would cook dinner for myself and my husband, and then she'd get the leftovers the next day, mm. or she'd get a hot dog, put in the <laughs> microwave for two minutes, still frozen. Got it. And, uh, or mac and cheese that I would make it from scratch. I mean, I wouldn't use a box, but you know, I mean, <laughs> she always got vegetables and fruit. Like she loves raw vegetables and fruit. So she would eat that, but I didn't wor- honestly, I didn't worry about her. I just couldn't, I have so many things to worry about. Like she was fine. She ate what she ate. She didn't eat what she didn't eat. We always try to give her some of our leftovers, uh-huh. you know, like, you know, beef stew and chicken, whatever we were eating, Indian food, like whatever it was, we gave it to her the next day. And half the time she liked it and half the time she didn't. And that was fine. And if she didn't, then there was a hot dog in the microwave. Like, that's it. Like, I'm just not, or some bread. <laughs> Such a I bad love mom. that. Well, it's, no, it's not a bad mom. It's, it actually sounds like, like you're not making a big deal out of it, which is actually probably pretty healthy for her psychology that like, you're not screaming at her, like you got to eat this or you're not no. getting dinner, you know? No, I made her try it. But I mean, if she 
you know, kicked up a big fuss. I wasn't going to be like, you must try this. I'm like, yeah. try it, try, you know. Um, and then when she turned around five or six and could, was staying up later, then she started joining our, ta- our table. And again, like I didn't make any special meals for her. We had what we had. If she didn't like it, she got a hot dog or she got a peanut <laughs> butter sandwich or she got, um, well, at that point I wouldn't make her mac and cheese, but there might be leftover mac and cheese. Sometimes I might make her a quesadilla super mm-hmm. fast. But again, like I didn't, I mean, there was usually something from the meal that she could pick out or have. Like, you know, if we had pasta with too many things in the sauce, Mm -hmm. she would just pull out, we'd pull out the pasta for her and kind of shake it off. Um, (laughs) Or if, yeah, or if there was like beef stew or like chicken stew or she didn't, you know, like a kid, she didn't like a lot of things together. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to like take out the chunks and give her the chunks separately. And then she'd eat it. And then now she's so, okay. And then she started getting more, you know, slowly, slowly. Um, she's always loved salad. This has always been a thing. So she, we always could sh- make a big bowl of salad, but probably because I washed my greens so well. Um, <laughs> we had to bring it full so, circle. Yeah, exactly. So she would, she always ate salad. Um, she never, ever used a fork. She'll never use a fork unless we're in public. She just will use her hands. Okay. That's how she is. You know, it's just like, all right. She likes There's something nice about eating a salad with your hands. I actually was making salad for lunch yesterday. I was tossing it with my hands and I just started like snacking on it. And I was like, yeah. it's actually, my hands are already dirty. So exactly. Well. That's what she says. And she yeah. makes the salad too. She makes, she's our salad maker now. She tosses uh, it with I her hands that. and she just kind of eats it. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. But I insist that when we go to restaurants, she uses a fork just to conform <laughs> yeah. to social norms. Sure. Um, yeah. That's so sweet. Um, so is she and- as, as interested in food in general as you are? Not at all. No. She, I mean, she likes the things she likes. She's still pretty picky. She won't eat fish of any kind Mm -hmm. she only recently started eating eggs now she'll eat fried eggs which is which is good because it's that's an easy thing to make her if she doesn't want what we're having like when we're having salmon for dinner she will have either i'll oh or we'll broil her sausage it's another thing that you know that she'll have so um but yeah i mean i i'm really trying not to i do i really it's not that I'm trying not to worry about it. I really don't worry about it. Like she's her own person. She'll like what she likes. She won't like what she won't like. Um, what annoys me though, is that she doesn't seem to want to learn how to cook. And mm. I really want her to know how to feed herself. Um, at this point, she has mastered salad and she can put frozen dumplings in the microwave. <laughs> well, isn't that funny? Like how we rebel against, you know, our parents. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, that, that's that gotta be a psychological thing going on there that like yeah. having oh, Melissa sure. Clark for your mom, I'm not going to learn how to cook. I mean- yeah. You know, what a better way to rebel. Uh, it's perfect. Yeah. Because people ask her all the time. Like they say, oh, you must be such a good cook. And she's like, no. And mm-hmm. then she'll say, well, my mother doesn't like me in the kitchen, which is not true. But that's what she says. <laughs> or, my mother's always in the kitchen. I can never even get in there. You know, what's so funny is I think that's a real thing. I had a roommate for a while named Diana. She's my one of my best friends. And she didn't ever want to cook when we lived together. And at some point I was like, you know, how come you don't cook? She's like, I'm too nervous to do it. Like when you're in the apartment. So I was like, well, I'll leave if you need to cook. So one day she was going to, she wanted to do the Chez Panisse recipe for like the salad with like goat cheese where like you fry the patties. Mm-hmm. Of goat. So she, she, she bought all the ingredients. She's like, okay, can you go? And I was like, sure. And I left and I came back oh eating her salad. But yeah, I think sometimes you need that freedom to be able to like fail and do things wrong and screw up without someone looking over your shoulder, I think. That's right. I think that's right. And I do offer to leave and I'm like, you know, I'm not home all the time, but yeah, it'll come. I mean, it'll come. Yeah. Well, that's so funny. So um, do you, I, I, this was just occurring to me, but in terms of dessert and things like that and baked goods, because you're, you also offer up a lot of baked 
baked goods in the newspaper in the book um, or desserts? Like, do you frequently make dessert for your family or is that just a byproduct of your recipe testing? Yeah, no, I don't make dessert for my family. It's it's stuff that I'm recipe testing. I try to, I mean, sometimes I'll make every once in a while, you know, Di and I make cookies together. Mm-hmm. We do, she does like to help me bake because, you know, that's just like unparalleled access to sugar. So mm-hmm. she's very happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do that every once in a while, but for the most part, we try not to have, you know, we try not to have dessert. We try not to have dessert every night. Dahlia has an entire candy box. that's like hidden somewhere in the <laughs> kitchen that she just, so, and again, we're not, we're not going to police it, but we just try not to have sugar every single night. Um, I love that she found space in your kitchen to hide a candy box. That's kind of yeah, cool. It's not hidden. I know where it is. I know, but I like, <laughs> it's her. I like, I, the rule is I'm not allowed in there and I respect that. I'm like, all right, what? whatever. You know, and she's 13, 14. She's going out in the world. She's going to Starbucks and God knows what she's getting. I'm like, <laughs> just good. get the decaf. Just get the decaf. I think she does. But if That's she hilarious. doesn't, you know, uh, you know. I right. mean, my, my parents, I mean, when, when I was growing up, Entenmann's was omnipresent oh, in our house. That's oh, all we had. Yeah. My brother and I ate Entenmann's chocolate donuts or crumb cake or lemon coconut cake for breakfast every day. Oh my God. And I can taste those donuts with the thick chocolate yeah. icing, like in the center, that glaze that's like all crunchy in the middle. Yeah, totally. Oh, I in love fact, that. like I haven't had that in so long. It'd probably be delicious if I did. Oh my um, God. I want that now. Adam, I want that. <laughs> I know. Maybe you can recreate that for the newspaper. Actually, it's not a bad idea. To get that that glaze, that glaze, on. that really crunchy, thick glaze. Yeah, so. I've never had that at home. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So I had no like health food or like eating conscientiously was not a big part of my childhood. And you know, it's only later in life that I started getting interested in all that stuff. So. Now, do you think that that messed you up not to have any, or do you think it was fine and you just figured it out? I think it was fine, and I just figured it out. Yeah. Truly, like I mean, I you know, Craig, my husband, grew up absolutely it was forbidden to have a commercial cereal or or sugary cereals and to this day like we him and I are so similar in the things we like and things we don't like you know it it didn't matter like I had right he had like health food and and, and neither and you ended up with a similar kind of I think I think that's true I think so her social group will determine you know where she is on that spectrum um I mean I think modeling healthy eating is good but it's Mm -hmm. not the only way that you learn you know yeah. Well, I want to circle back to your book. Um, how do you, and you're being a really good sport, by the way, answering all my invasive questions, but um, how do you keep it interesting for yourself when you're working on, what is this, your 18th cookbook? 45th. Wait, what? 45th? I think I knew that, but still, it's shocking every time. 45th cookbook. I mean, that's there's not been as many presidents. I mean, that's like 46 presidents, right? Or Biden, yeah, no, I think I think I'm running neck and neck with the presidents. That's right. Yeah, that's crazy. well, there's only one new president every four years. I write a book every two years. So that's insane. So <laughs> how do you keep it interesting for yourself when you tackle something like this work? Because what's generally the concept is, you know, one pot dinners, dinner in one. But like, how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it exciting for you? I mean, it's, I never get bored of this stuff. It's like, I love right. cooking. I love doing it. It's not, bo- if, it, if I was bored with the recipe, I just wouldn't do it. Right. But I mean, like, okay, for example, I'm just going to open randomly, like, you know, crunchy peanut crusted tofu, um, cheesy baked pasta. So like, you know, when you make this for yourself or you're making this for the book, like, are there just like little twists? Are you trying to find like new you know, techniques? Are you trying to find new flavors? Like what's the goal when you're working on these recipes? Yeah. So the goal is to make it either easier or more delicious. 
or Got healthier. It. Like there's always something. I'm always pushing a, con- a, a recipe concept in a direction. Mm-hmm. And where are you? Where, what what do you look at when you're trying to get inspired? Are you looking at the internet? Are you looking at magazines, old cookbooks? Like what's your source? Everywhere, everywhere. I mean, but restaurants are my biggest inspiration. Mm-hmm. So that was hard when I wasn't going out. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and- during the pandemic, that was really hard. But restaurants for sure, because chefs are just, they think about food in ways that I don't think about food. And I just mm-hmm. really love to get into their heads. Yeah. Is there something recently that you've learned or a technique that's changed your cooking in a way that, um, you know, 10 years ago, you weren't cooking that way or? I mean, always, God, always. Um, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of something super recent, but like when I found out that um, Brooks Headley over at Superiority Burger would press his tofu and then marinate it in pickle brine, like freaking mm. genius, like stuff like that. Like who thinks of that? It's That's just so, so great. smart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, chefs like, you know, it's, it's like they're, they're pushing the edge, but so are you. I mean, back to your sheet pan uh, Thanksgiving. So can you walk us through your sheet pan Thanksgiving and how this all works? Yes. So it's not a full Thanksgiving meal, but it is many of the elements that mm-hmm you know, you love for a Thanksgiving meal. So on the, on the same, on the sheet pan, you've got your turkey breast Mm -hmm. and it's seasoned and it's, um, you know, it's got, it's got garlic and it's got sage and it's just marinated and delicious. And then you have your Brussels sprouts Mm -hmm. and you have, you can use sweet potatoes or squash. You have your, you know, you have every Thanksgiving, you have to have orange, right? Yes. Uh So, um, and then you, and you roast everything at the same time. Adam, can you hang on one? I'm sorry. You'll be able to edit this, right? Yeah, sure. Sorry, somebody's at my door. That's okay. Where were we? Uh, we were talking about um about techniques like um oh, Thanksgiving. Brooks- yeah, Thanksgiving oh Thanksgiving, a- right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have the chick- the turkey breast, and then you have some orange, and your and this is, and is you- this this is for like a small group or like a small family gathering. Yeah, exactly. Or it's just like honestly, it's like you know when you crave Thanksgiving and it's not mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. That so it's great. just to get those flavors. Um, you still have to make cranberry sauce or buy cranberry sauce, but that's my favorite. That's my favorite thing to, to make is cranberry sauce. It's so easy too. Yeah. It's so because it just gets thick on its own because of the uh thickening properties in the cranberries, right? Yeah, exactly. Because they have so much pectin in the skin. Pectin, that's the word. Uh so when, when you're experimenting for a book like this or for your other stuff, I mean, how often are you failing? Oh, a lot. A lot, a lot of recipes don't work out and you just have to keep trying. Like what's an example of one that you had to oh, keep perfect? so many. I mean, just the other day I was working on this salmon recipe um, and I had this idea of like roast steaming mm-hmm. salmon and kale at the same time okay. and seasoning it with like soy sauce and ginger and it was terrible. I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> really? And it was a sheet pan dinner? Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to steam and roast the same. So did you yeah, add so water the idea, to the pan? Yeah, exactly. And like the idea is that the kale would wilt down and be like saucy and yummy, and the and the salmon would be browned and uh-huh. crusty on top. And and it didn't just it's, it didn't work. No, <laughs> that's funny. So um, so what's next? Oh God. Well, so <laughs> I'm working on. Of course, I'm working on another because I have to always be working on a book. Um, can you talk about it or is it a secret? Yeah, I can. It's um, So it's going to be a teaching cookbook. It's going to be like a, a basics book. Um, and what I want to do is it's going to be very comprehensive. It'll have, you know, 
not joy of cooking number of recipes. It'll have a lot of, of classic recipes. And what I do is I breaking every recipe down into mm -hmm. the must do and the you can change it. Mm. So it's like, these are the rules of, of cooking the dish that you cannot break. And then these are all the rules that you can break. And I the idea that. is that it'll be the def a definitive recipe according to me. Uh -huh. And then you will be able to take that recipe immediately from the first time you make it and make it your own. I love that. And I think yeah. people will really appreciate that too, because I think people are so intimidated when they first start out cooking that they have no idea Right. You know, they don't what, know which rules to break. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. how many recipes will that be? Uh, I don't know. A million, <laughs> 300, 200, 300. Right. And you're still I don't know. I'm, your... start, I'm starting out with like 250. We'll see where I end up with. And and you're still doing the New York Times column too. So, I mean, you're, you're really... And, and, and is there anything else that I'm forgetting? No, no, no. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's still a well. Lot. The newsletter I started doing um, Sam's uh, newsletter twice. Right. A week. That's so wow. So, are you up at like five in the morning working, or how do you get all this done in a day? You know, it's hard. I'm it's the newsletter thing is throwing my um my balance off a little bit because it's like this thing that takes a lot more time than I thought it would. But I'm going to get faster at it. So, but I love yeah. it. I mean, it's really fun. It's a fun challenge. Yeah. Um. Well, I have a, a final question for you. And um, it's a big question. And I, I'm curious how you're going to answer this. So sheet pans aside, you know, uh, vessels up in the air, you are challenged with making the world's greatest roast chicken. Um, you know, this, this isn't just, to, this isn't supposed to necessarily be easy. It's just like you're in a competition um, wow. against some of the world's great chefs and you are, you are to make the world's greatest roast chicken and vegetables. Um, how would you do it? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. I'd have to experiment. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I mean, there's the whole hairdryer thing, you know? Yeah. Um, Helen Rosner kind of yeah, perfected yeah. that. Um, I think so butter. I mean, I've seen Ludo Lefebvre in LA, like just slather his in butter, but keep going. I want to hear what you're going to say. Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely have to have butter for sure. Um, mm. and it would have herbs, um, but it wouldn't have garlic and it wouldn't have lemon. It would just be buttered herbs. But the question is, what would I do to get the, to me, the ultimate roast chicken is the crispy skin, right? Yeah, of course. So maybe, I mean, I, I've never tried it where I've um, done it Peking duck style, where you blanch the chicken first and then dry it out and loose and loosen the skin from the, from the flesh and yeah. then maybe stuff all the butter wow. in that. I would never I have know. thought of that. That's interesting. And then maybe dry it with the hairdryer, you know, because the hairdryer thing is like, that's like a Peking duck thing. Like you want to dry the skin as much as possible. Um, uh, in um, some traditional methods use fans, big fans to uh -huh. dry out the duck skin. So the hairdryer is kind of a, an adaptation of that. So I, I would try, I've never tried that. I would try that though. And would you use a cast iron skillet? Would you use a roasting pan? Would you use a sheet pan as the, as you like? To I do? would probably use a cast iron skillet, I think. And I might sear and then roast. See, this is all great information. Like there's, you know, there's a lot in there. So sear, you would sear the entire exterior. No, the just the legs, just the two legs on the sides. Yeah. You know, that's also a traditional thing to do with classic. You sear the legs, but maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would. I mean, I also, I mean, honestly, I think my splayed chicken is a really excellent yeah. method. So maybe I would really like go to town on the skin, get it all, you know, dry as possible and buttery as possible, then splay it then heat up the skillet and throw it on there and stick it in the oven. 
maybe that's what I would do. That sounds amazing. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question about chicken since like you got me hungry. Um, you're now in a competition, uh, world's best chicken dish, and it could be anything. And you are competing against some of the best chefs in the world, um, who are all doing innovative, interesting things with chicken. What would you make? Oh my God. It could be something cozy and comforting. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you're, you know, using dry ice or you know, <laughs> a centrifuge. Definitely not using, definitely yeah. not using dry ice. Um, what am I doing? I'm watching the gears turning in Melissa Clark's head. This is very like, exciting. What would be the thing? I'd it's be like up against all these fancy chefs. Beautiful right? so mind. I'd, yeah. I would have to do something totally homey because that's the only way I would compete. And I could not compete in the uh, wow factor because I don't do wow factor. I would maybe I would do pizza chicken. What's that? So that's in um, that's in my <laughs> other cookbook. Um, it's basically skillet chicken within a tomato sauce with pancetta and then um fresh mozzarella like bocconcini melted on top with basil in the sauce and it's like pizza chicken it almost sounds like chicken parmesan but without the um the breading exactly and it's like it's a whole so you use chicken parts and then you're using fresh mozzarella you do a, a you have the pancetta the basil it's really it's like chicken parm but it's it's not better but it's like a little more elevated, but yeah. still cozy. This is like a perfect, I mean, I'm glad I asked you that question because I feel like that image or like that, that, that being your contribution to the competition is like the perfect, um, symbol of like Melissa Clark cooking. Cause you have the pancetta in the sauce, which is like a little tweak that goes a long way Yeah, and you have this elevated thing, but it's not so elevated that people couldn't do it at home. I feel like that's the, an iconic kind of dish. Um, so I think it's a great place to end. Ah, oh, thanks Adam. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, everyone who's listening, you have to go out and get Melissa's new book, Dinner in One. When is it already out or is it? It's already uh, out. And shipping containers made it here okay with the book. So We like to say the mermaids returned it unscathed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And oh, thank you, you for having yeah, me. Yeah, I'm headed to New York, so maybe I'll run into you while I'm there. Oh, that would be fantastic. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. And in case I haven't hammered home the point, uh, my new cookbook is out this week. So please get, head out there and ask to get a copy of Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway. And if, when you get it, if you could write some really nice reviews online, that helps us so much. And if you want to follow along with all these adventures in New York City, give me a follow on social media at Amateur Gourmet. That's on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to my newsletter, which is amateurgourmet.substack.com. All right. I'll see you back in LA next week. Take care. Thank you.